0: Hey, guys, how you doing today? Doing all right? Good to see you. Listen, um, smack dab in the middle of this book in the Old Testament called Leviticus. It's chapter 16. You come to this really strange holiday. Um, You might know it by a name that it still kind of circulates by today. It's called Yom Kippur. You've heard of this? Okay. Yom Kippur more classically gets translated Day of Atonement. But I want you to think about it in a different term today, all right? What is Yom Kippur? Purge day. You ever seen the movie The Purge? Yeah, okay, it's nothing like that, all right? <laughs> Purge day. In the middle of this book called Leviticus is this thing called Purge day. Now, now, before we jump into this, I, I want to just kind of bring you into where we're going here. These past several weeks, we've been going through Leviticus together and, and really trying to unearth out of it just the depth and the mystery of, of who God is and what he's trying to communicate to us. Now, I know that there's some of you here that when you come to the Bible, you have come to a place where you've really come to just see it as, as a message of God to you. you know, you've You've come to to hear in these words something more than just words on a page, but a voice of the living God himself. And I think Leviticus can be tough for you because can anything sound like like further away from what God has to say? It's regulations of sacrifices and, and, and rituals and, and feast days and things like this that just don't really seem to have any bearing. And I think there's a lot of you here who have come to see the Bible that way, but you've come to Leviticus and you're just like, what? It, it's just, it, it just feels foreign and enclosed and, and shrouded. And what I'm really hoping to do today for you is through this, this chapter 16 purge day thing, help you see what's behind the veil. I want to help you see this amazing insight into who God is and maybe give you a window into his soul. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of you here today who have not come to that place with the Bible yet. You know, maybe maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe you're new to the whole Christianity thing. And maybe uh, you don't really even know what the Bible's about And any attempt that you've ever given it has just been cumbersome and, and, and painful and maybe you're here today and you're just skeptical about it. You're just like, I, I don't know about this thing. What's going to be tough about today is that when we go into Leviticus, on the surface it's going to seem to kind of confirm your worst nightmares, all right? It, 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 it's strange, it's weird, it's archaic. It feels obsolete, and, and it's going to be really easy for it to kind of confirm every misconception there is about the Bible and go, what does this have to do with my life? You know, if you're willing to stick through this for the next 20 minutes or so with me, my hope for you is I really hope that you see how relevant this old book is to your life. And all of this in Leviticus is going to come to a head in chapter 16, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, Purge Day, all right? All right, let's do it. So, quick review. We have holidays, right? There's certain holidays we look forward to every year. When you think of like the big holidays in our culture, what do you got? What do you got? Christmas, all the way. Christmas, and I heard the other crew say Easter. Of course, that may be more of an in house holiday, but Christmas and Easter are like the the big anchors, and maybe, you know, if you get it off, it's like Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Labor Day. Day? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Hey, you get it off, Labor Day, all right. No, you know, built into our culture, built into our psyche, is a pattern of holidays. None of those holidays that we just mentioned were Old Testament holidays. You would meet Jesus, and he go, "Christmas? What's that?" You know, it wasn't part of their schema. They had their own holidays. Let me show them to you quickly. On their map, they had seven big ones: four in the spring, three in the fall. Now the the holidays in the spring began with Passover and actually next Sunday we we come right on the cusp of the development of that holiday and they would work like a package. Do you know how kind of like Thanksgiving into Christmas season, into Christmas, into New Year's, it's it's really kind of like a set? This is how those spring holidays would work. And then you'd come along in the fall and the same thing would happen, a second package of days. Feast of Trumpets, Purge Day, And the Feast of Tabernacle or Booths. Now, look at this just for a moment. Because the Day of Atonement or Purge Day should lift out. It was given a certain prominence, a special place among all seven of the holidays. And just a quick glance at this, well, maybe a not so quick glance at this, should begin to lift it out. First, look at this. Where are all of these holidays listed? Now you see that? Leviticus what specifically? 23. And the Day of Atonement is as well. Except what's different about that day? It's separated out from among the other days. Do you see that? Not only that, take a look at this. All the other holidays, what are you getting? Like a three verse spread? Some maybe as many as 10 or 12. But what about the Day of Atonement? it gets an entire chapter dedicated to itself. There is something about this day that I want to share with you today that is special, that's different, that that rises among the pack and has incredible insight into who God is, what he's like, and the nature of a relationship with him. Okay, now... I've been trying to make the case for the past several weeks that the fundamental point of this book called Leviticus is dealing with the problem of what does it mean when when, when a holy God comes down, like, you know, here, like with us. What does it mean when a holy God comes down here to live with unholy people? And the problem with this is that holiness and unholiness, they just don't mix. I mean, it's, it's like it's like gas in a match, right? There's something about the fundamental nature of holy and unholy that when it comes together, something bad happens. And this is a problem, because let me ask you: do you want God in your life? Do you want his presence? Do you want to be in his presence? Do you want a relationship with him? See, that's tough for an unholy person like me. Because, man, I know what I'm made up. I know the fiber of who I am. And I know, here's God, and that ain't me. And so what does it mean for someone like me or someone like the people of this day? To on one hand yearn to live in God's presence, but the other hand go, how does this work? This is the problem of Leviticus. And it becomes rooted in this concept called sin. Now sin is something that separates us from God. It's something that results in this unholiness that's the big problem in his mix. And Leviticus actually has a way of Dealing with it. We think sin today, what do we think? Okay, I sinned, tell God I'm sorry, move on, right? How do you deal with it in Leviticus? Well, slit an animal's throat. Sacrifice a bull. Sacrifice a ram. Sacrifice a goat. The idea that this animal is standing in place of me. Yeah, we're going to do a show of hands on this. I was debating. You sin every day? Yeah? How many times a day? It should be like one of these like weird wedding songs where people exit the dance floor twice a day. <laughs> Ten times a day? No, no one? Twice a day? Yeah, all right. All right, you got better people than I am. Um, how many times do you sin a day? Well, built into Leviticus is a sacrifice. Here it is. Leviticus chapter four and Leviticus chapter five. Okay, this is what it says. When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, bring your animal. Bring it as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. Keep some of that in mind. Leviticus 5. When a person commits a violation in sins, unintentionally, in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he is to bring a ram. It is a guilt offering. Now, if you're reading closely, you should notice something in these two sacrifices. What are they for? You caught it. Sinning unintentionally. Did you catch that? I mean, hey, great, I'm glad it's there. But straight up, don't you sin on purpose all the time? And don't go copping out on this, oh, I was just weak, oh, you know, it just got the best of me. Oh, yeah, whatever. You knew it was wrong, and you did it. You knew it was right, and you didn't. It's okay to admit it. It's true to all of us. What happens to a person like me. This brings us to what purge day is all about. Because now look at what it says about Leviticus 16. What is it for? It will make atonement for the most holy place because of what? The uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. And you see that last phrase? whatever their sin. At the end, when it wraps up what this whole day is about, on this day, Yom Kippur, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins, from all your sins. Imagine what it's like to heap up your sin and carry it around with you every single day. You start to see why a day like this rises from the pack. Or imagine it this way. Imagine that every year you need to appear before a judge. Maybe it's a state judge, maybe it's a federal, maybe it's a a judge here in Woodstock at at the county courthouse. And every year... Every single thing that you've done wrong, every crime, every violation, every speeding parking ticket and everything worse in between, all right? Everything has been caught on camera. Not too far from the truth. (laughs) Everything has been captured. And you have to stand before that judge and give an account for every single crime, violation, and offense that you've made. But imagine once a year a day comes along and on that day, no matter who walks in, do you know what the judge has to say? Not guilty. Not guilty. Imagine what it would be like looking forward to a day like that. Now compound it. And imagine what it would look like to look forward to a day like that when the judge is the God of the universe. And if you can wrap your mind around that, you start to get the impact and the significance of this day. Are you with me? Now, I want to invite you to do something this morning we are actually going to read some chunks out of Leviticus. I know, first time, right? We're going to read some chunks, but I'm going to invite you to do something in the process. There's these Bibles under your chairs, if you didn't bring one. Open up to Leviticus 16. It's where we get the layout of this, this purge day, this day of atonement. And as we read this, I want to encourage you to read Leviticus a bit differently than you normally probably do. See, what we're about to go into is some mind-numbing, eye-bleeding stuff. That's like, oh my gosh, what does this have to do with anything? We're going to read about rituals and sacrifices. We're going to read about particular details that, let's be straight up, we don't give a rip about. But I want you to hone in on the details today because the significance of this day, you're going to find it in the details. So turn with me, if you would, to Leviticus 16. We're going to start at verse 3. Here's what it says. This is how Aaron, who's Aaron? The high priest. We start with the high priest. This is how the high priest is to enter the sanctuary area, the tent, the tabernacle, the place of meeting. He's got to take a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So, dude, take a bath before you put it on because dry cleaning is expensive. All right? This is how it begins. And we read immediately about this, this garment and we go, who cares? Well, let's unpack this a little bit. I need a high priest today, preferably someone named Aaron, because that would be cool. Um, anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Aaron, come on up. Come, I need you, man. Yeah. Let's dress him. What do we got? What do we got? Now, we don't have priestly garments here, but the first thing to go on is what? Okay, sacred linen tunic. May I introduce you to the sacred linen tunic? All right? Dude, put that on over your coat. All right? Now, while he's getting that on, what do we have next? Nah, you're skipping stuff. Underwear. We need the sacred underwear. You're on your own. All right, we go to what next? Linen sash and a turban on his head. Dude, you gotta just like do rag this thing. All right, let's. Uh, is that working? Is that working? Now, do people normally dress like this? No, and that's the point. What the high priest is putting on is not what he normally wears. This is special. Clothes. This isn't the the, the workday scrubs. This is a special outfit that only the high priest wears. Thanks for your help, man. You can uh, have a seat. All right. Um, no, no, dude, leave it on. Leave it on. Yeah, yeah, rock on. Okay. This priest dresses up. Now we don't have time to get into the significance today of what all of these little details in this outfit are about. But let me just sum it up by saying everything that the high priest wears is an exact representation and copy of everything used to build the tent. So he's dressing like the drapes. All right? So imagine stuff like that coating inside curtains and and rugs and stuff everywhere. You're dressing like the building you're in. And more interesting... Every detail in the construction of that tent and every detail in the nature of that outfit is meant to symbolize the universe. They would talk about this big curtain, this big veil, how it would represent the heavens, and there beyond the heavens, God was there. They would talk about this, 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 this altar of incense and the cloud it would make, like, like the clouds fill our sky. They would talk about all the different things that would represent different points of creation. So what we have happening on this day is we have this guy named Aaron, we have this high priest, and he is a living representation of the universe as we know it. He is there representing all of God's creation before God and he is there representing God before his creation. Now, it goes on and it says this in verse 6 from verse 5 From the Israelite community, in addition to this bull and this ram, he is to take two male goats. Because what's a holiday without goats? Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin and make atonement for himself. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to this tent. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord, the other for this we'll call it scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. More on the goats in a minute. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. He slaughters it, It's done. Then what does Aaron do? Okay, scoop up some coal, right? Take a censer full of burning coals, take them from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of incense and take them behind the curtain. Now, the only way for this to make sense is for me to help you visualize something because the significance is in the details. Do you remember how I said a moment ago? What Leviticus is about is God coming off the mountaintops of Exodus down to live among his people in Leviticus, right? But we have a present a problem of the, the presence of a holy God among unholy people. Now, you can read through Exodus, and you know we, we might think it, we might sing it, we might say it all the time, I want to see God. You know what happens to people in Exodus when they see God? You know, their faces burn off, you know, just, they, they die. Because holy and unholy just don't mix. So in the middle of the camp, they, they build this, this, this tent, this gigantic tent. You got to think like circus tent kind of size. And in the tent are a series of what we will just call quarantine zones. Different levels of security, if you will, to get in. Now, the deepest recess is a place called the Holy of Holies. Imagine that to be the deck up here. And there in the middle of this room is a big golden box. And in this big golden box are things like the Ten Commandments, other things like this jar of this stuff called manna that that was a leftover of this just amazing, miraculous way God fed his people in the wilderness, and other signs of his presence And the Old Testament would say that's where God would come and hang out. If you wanted to find God in his most concentrated form, that's where you would find him in creation. But the problem is, what if I walk into this place and I accidentally like, and I'll sneak a look. So they built this big veil, a curtain to block it. And out in front of the curtain, they would have this, this little altar, this little stand, something, well, like this. And they would place it there. And there would be incense in there. Now, have you ever seen what happens to incense when you put a match to it? Right? Right? So what they would do, it says he would take a scoop of this fire and he would put it on this incense altar and what it would do is make a cloud because what Aaron has to do is go in there. Aaron has to go in there and to prevent him from even catching a glimpse, he would literally make a smoke screen. And then this is what it says. 13, 14, he used to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on front of the atonement cover and sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. The cover over this ark and the holy of holies. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. So, repeat. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins may have been. And he's to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent when this happens until Aaron comes out. Verse 18, then he shall come out to the altar. Do you know where the altar is? It's by that stand right back there. See, the first thing you would have to hit when you'd walk in is you'd have to pass the altar. You'd make the sacrifice out there. You'd sacrifice it out there and then come in, but Aaron, it says, makes the sacrifice, comes in, and now goes out there. More on that in a moment. And he puts it on the horns of the altar. Verse 19, he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. What is going on? Let's set up a flowchart. If you were to pay attention to the movement of blood, it would look something like this. Aaron walks on in because he doesn't live in this place. He makes a smoke screen. He takes the blood. He puts it all in here. Then he walks out there and he puts it out there. So what we see is the blood going that way. Does that make sense? Now, here's why that's significant. Because in every other sin offering in Leviticus, the blood goes this way. People bring their animal. They come to the door. They sacrifice it out there. And they walk away. It stays there. What is the day of atonement about? Purge day. Taking all the sins that have been piling up in here and jettisoning them out there. Do you have garbage pickup? It's a good thing, isn't it? You know, I... uh, I remember a a, a time when a family member was trying to, uh, they lived in the country, save a little money and decided not to do garbage pickup because we could burn it, all right? Sounded like a really good idea at first. But pretty soon, the garbage started heaping up more than they could burn. And what do you do about like plastic? Recyclables? I remember there's like these old like, extension cords that didn't work. Like, what do I do with these things? Old, stupid, broken toys. What do I do with these things? Food waste that doesn't really burn. Well, you know what? We'll put it in the garage for now. We'll get to it when the weather turns nice. But then you hit Winter. What do you do when it's sub-zero outside and the wind is blowing and you can't get a fire started? Can you imagine how quickly the garbage would heap in your house if there wasn't someone to come and take it away? Right? I mean, why do we take it away? I mean, it's our stuff, isn't it? Why do I want someone taking my things because it's dirty. It stinks. It's loaded with disease and mold and infectious things. It gets in the way, doesn't it? It just clutters up your life. It clutters up your house. It, it, it starts to take over if you're not careful with it. Guys, sin does the exact same thing. Purge day is about taking the garbage out. That all year long, the sins of the people are heaping and heaping and piling and piling. And you know what? God doesn't want to live in them either. And so once a year, there would be a day when not just the unintentional ones, but sins in every way, they would be, get those out of here. And instead of the flow going this way, it would go that way. Which brings us to Jesus. Because it's been said that Jesus takes and carries away the sins of the world. Now, for those of you who know the story, I want you to think about Jesus' crucifixion. You know, that event when he was nailed to the cross that, 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 that marked the time when sins were fully paid for. I want you to think about that, and I want to think about the story. Do you remember the story where you have Pontius Pilate, he's the Roman governor, and he's there, and he's interrogating Jesus, and, and he can't find any reason to judge this guy. And so he goes out and he starts making appeal to the crowds that have gathered out in front of him. And he's like, you know what? You brought me this man to condemn him. I can't find a reason to condemn him. What do you want me to do with him? What is the next thing that the crowd say? You know the story? What's the next thing the crowd say? Crucify, Crucify him, right? No, it's not. This is what they say. Away With the man. Get him out of here. Take him away. Let that which sins have been piled on go that way. Are you seeing it? It is only later that they start crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. He and Barabbas send this one away. Which brings us to the goats. Because it then says, in verse 20, when Aaron has finished making atonement, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both his hands on the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion. You can kind of see the symbolic transfer there, right? All of their sins, and he puts them on the goat. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Now you might remember if you were staying, um, staying focused on this. Aaron had to select two goats. One was a goat for the Lord and the other had a funny name. You remember what it was? Let me show you how other translations put this. You should cast lots for two goats. One for the Lord and the other, and we come to this weird Hebrew word for Azazel. What is Azazel? Azazel. Well, no one really knows, because it's the only time it really pops up in the Bible. And some have kind of seen within this a piecemeal putting together of two Hebrew words, one similar for goat, one similar for go away, so it kind of has some kind of composite idea of, well, one for the Lord and one for the go away goat, hence scapegoat, right? Right? But because the way it's written, others have seen in it a name. A name, one for the Lord and one for Azazel. It's fascinating that later Jewish literature will talk about an Azazel. As this demonic creature, this this, this spiritual force, this, this presence of evil that lived separated from God out in the wilderness. And you'll see the old testament prefigure or echo that in certain ways. There's another way to maybe understand what the crowds were shouting that day. One goat for the Lord, one for Azazel. Away with this man like a scapegoat or to Jesus were they shouting to hell with him? Send him to the devil. Get him out of here and crucify him. Crucify him as one cursed. Let him go out of the city, away from the temple, out to the wilderness, out to the place where the devil reigns. And it's fascinating that if you read another gospel account about the crucifixion of Jesus, after they shall crucify him, Jesus takes his cross and goes out to a place away from the city, away from the temple, just like that. And in the most ironic twist in human history, the one sent out bearing all those sins to be handed over to hell and the devil declares victory over him in his death. He goes out and he crushes the head. He crushes the skull. He crushes death. It's like the entire gospel account is wrapping up this idea that when Jesus came and was crucified that day, your sins were taken away. They're out of here, they're gone, they're history. Their sin as far from God and you, as the East is from the West. This is what Purge Day is looking towards. This is what it's about, that there is a God in this universe who is willing to live among our trash and filth. Like a sponge, he's willing to absorb it and absorb it. Take it on, bring it to me, heap it here, cosmic landfill. And then on his son Jesus, he purges it all. He takes it away. That's the kind of God he is. Cosmic Garbage Man. My encouragement to you this morning give it to him and let him carry it away. Once and for all, carry it away. I, uh, I want to invite you on your feet. You know, I got stuff in my house that I don't really want. But I can't get rid of it. I'm afraid to. I think I might need it someday. I got an emotional attachment to it. It hurts too much to let it go. You got stuff like that cluttering your basement and attic and garage. You know, all of us have stuff like that in our soul too. Garbage piling up that we're afraid to let go of. What if I need it again some day? Stuff with an emotional attachment. Stuff that I tell myself I like. But all it's doing is cluttering up the space in my life. You know, each and every day, God invites us to bring that junk to Jesus and give it to him. There's an old practice among believers called confession what that basically means is just, God, here it is. Here's my junk. Yeah, you know what my junk is. I do too, and I'm not going to hide from it anymore. Here's my junk. You know, I want to encourage you this morning. Risk doing a little spring cleaning of the soul. You know, right now, maybe just uh, come to God in some personal space close your eyes if that helps or just, just come to him just you, you and him just start giving it to him just start saying Lord here's this piece of junk here's that piece of junk here's this garbage in my life here's this filth here's this right now just start heaping it on him There's this really cool passage in Isaiah that talks about how Jesus more or less does this. I just want to invite you to make it a prayer with me this morning. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no majesty or beauty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Guys, the good news is this. He's taken it. He's taken it. He's taken it all, so leave it with him. In him, your sins have been taken away. Embrace what that means for you.